All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this privilege, this honor of gathering together as family on a Sunday morning. There's nothing sweeter we could be doing, Father, and it's to your glory that we're doing it. Father, we just are so very grateful for all that you've given us provided for us. We know that you provide for every need that we might have. For as a father truly loves his children, you take care of us. We're just so slow to take up such realities in our own lives, Father. We're ungrateful and unfaithful at times, but you're always faithful. And it's just proof that you love us so much in ways that we cannot even fathom, even. Father, we pray for those that are sick in the congregation that can't be with us, and we pray for those that are still lost. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a morning like this a reality. And we do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Monica, can you kill that? Or Brian, can you kill that? <clears throat> Again, undistracted devotion to the Lord, part two. Um, I wanted to give you some feedback from this past week's blog, which was titled, Two Types of Practicing Believers. Uh, I got this from someone outside the congregation, Pastor uh, Joshua Mokua. Uh, Thanks, man of God. You'll have to forgive. um, uh, English is not his first language, of course. So thanks, man of God. Today I woke up at 5 in the morning to read the weekly updates. My wife wondered why I was up one hour early. Usually I woke up at 6 and start walking to the church, which is five miles away, whether rainy or sunshine, for nine years now. I have been encouraged by your lesson on devotion to Christ. It takes the grace of God to obey and move on even in every very trying moments to sit at His feet, listen, and act in obedience This is a time when people talk about success and good life everywhere. Does this conform to denying ourselves and carrying our cross? What did it mean to the one carrying the cross? Did it mean life or death? Of course, death. We must die to our comfort zones and walk in obedience according to His good pleasure. I love you and always read your updates, although I communicate less. I thank the man of God, Evangelist Scott, for linking me to you. This has made me learn a lot. God bless you, Pastor Joshua Mokua. This kind of puts things into perspective, doesn't it? Anybody walk five miles here? I know John and Pat sometimes walk five minutes. I'm thinking that's... Hey, some of you complain about walking. Why don't they pave the parking lot? On Thursday, we began a new series titled Undistracted Devotion to the Lord, and I am really looking forward 
through this series because it'll be nice reminder to us all of the one thing necessary that Jesus was talking to Martha about. Up here on the board, Luke 10, 41 to 42. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Another translation from the Living Bible up here on the board. But the Lord said to her, Martha, dear friend, you are so upset over all these details. There is really only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and I won't take it away from her. Mary has discovered it, and I won't take it away from her. This one remnant from our previous series titled, God Sees the Heart, but the world sees the choices we make is what spawned this series. Jesus said, but only one thing is necessary. Only one thing. Of course, he was speaking of himself, worshiping him, partaking in the very bread of life. Go to John 6.24. John 6.24. There really is only one thing necessary. And it's him. John 6.24. But most of us are Marthas. Most of our time is dominated by the details of life. And yeah, great, you made it to church. How about Tuesdays when there's three people? How about then? Okay, just saying. John 6.24 so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Huh. Not the supernatural stuff that, meant, that was meant to validate my ministry, but because you ate and were filled. And see, one's a spiritual priority, and one's a physical or even fleshly priority. Up here on the board. Because you ate and were filled. How many of us are like this even today? And that's a good question for all of us to ponder. How many of us are like this even today? Do we seek the Lord because of what He can give us? Or do we seek Him out of love? Do we seek the Lord because of what He can give us? Or do we seek Him out of love? Are we merely users or are we lovers? Are we users or are we lovers? Hmm. Again, how many of us are like this today? Do we seek the Lord because of what He can give us, or do we seek Him out of love? Are we merely users, or are we lovers? There's a big difference there. Jesus had some sound advice on this. Look at verse 27. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him the Father God has set His seal. Therefore they said to Him, What shall we do? 
so that we may work the works of God. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven or out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And this is the one thing that is necessary. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Again, as Jesus told Martha, but only one thing is necessary. That is the bread of life. That's the necessary element in our lives. If we think the way Jesus thought, we might better understand what he was talking about with Martha up here on the board. John 4:32 and 34. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Again, I have food that I have food to eat that you do not know about. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. If you want a full life, do his work. If you want to be satisfied with life, if you want to be filled up, if you don't want to go hungry, do his work. Do you want to starve? Do you want to be emaciated? Do you want to walk away empty-souled, if you would? Unfulfilled? Then don't do his work. Sounds like the blog. In other words, be a doer, not merely a hearer who deludes themselves. They're a guarantee. I'm telling you right now, I know you guys. I love you, but I know you. There are hearers hearing my voice right now who will hear this message, be convicted, and then just go away and watch the football games this afternoon. Or do like Martha did, clean the house, or whatever it is you think is a priority over the one necessary thing. And you choose your poison. You all got it. But what did Jesus say? He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He said, I'm fulfilled. I'm satisfied by doing, doing his work. I didn't just hear my father's instructions, in other words. Like, you're not just hearing the word of God being preached to you this morning. The objective is that you do the will of him who sent you to bear your own cross. Some of you are like, yeah, I live an unfulfilled life, so I stuff my face with food. How's that any different than the previous, was it the previous one? Because you ate and were filled. Where are your priorities? Again, the instigating passage up here on the board, Luke 10, 41 to 42. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Some people are worried about, you know, wants that they call needs. They're worried about what? Food. Some of you probably are already thinking about food. 
You just had breakfast. Settle down there. I'm serious. Some of you already think about, oh, I wonder where we're going to go for lunch. I wonder if they'll have good soda and root beer floats and beer and wine and whatever it is you guys fill your bodies with. But that's not the necessary thing. There's only one thing necessary. And it's certainly not what you're going to eat for lunch. You know there are some people right now that are starving? And they're so faithful, they'd rather take word from the Bible than maybe the food off of your table. I'm good. Hmm. There are people starving right now. They really don't have what they need to eat. And we're worried about eating in America when only one thing is necessary. The whole point to this prelude this morning is to get us thinking as follows. If there's only one thing that is necessary and it's specific or specifically to focus on Him, then it's obvious to see why the Spirit's got us focused on a series titled Undistracted Devotion to the Lord. Undistracted Devotion to the Lord. Let's pick up where we left off on Thursday, Ephesians 3.16. Ephesians 3.16 This is how we ended up with this series. Undistracted devotion to the Lord. <coughs> Ephesians 3.16. I was thinking about that the other day. It's interesting because people have, to be bought, have, people have to be brought pretty low. There are people listening to me right now who in their souls are smirking, saying, I'm doing fine. My life is great the way it is. I don't know what this bald guy is talking about. God is never mocked. He's patient. You're enjoying his patience right now in your arrogance. What I've learned is people tend to grow when they're brought really low. And if they're not willing to do it in their own humility, God will enforce humility upon them eventually. Because you know what? He's not mocked. You are just a peon. You are just a creature that he created. And who, who are you to mock him? Guaranteed, someone in here right now is mocking him. Ephesians 3.16 That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. For the sake of amplification, let me give you the Living Bible translation again, Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. And may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high His love really is. And to experience this love for yourselves, though it is so great that you will never see the end of it, or fully know or understand it. And so at last you will be filled up with God Himself. This past week we looked at two women of God, Anna from Luke 2 and Harriet Tubman, a key proponent of the Underground Railroad during slavery times in America. Up here on the board, Anna's undistracted devotion 
she consciously decided to serve the Lord for the remainder of her life after her husband died, which was, was only after like seven years. So she usually they married young back then. He died after seven years, so she would have been relatively young. And then she lived till she was like 84. So decades and decades she served the Lord. While this may be considered a special calling, it nonetheless was godly. She listened to the Lord. She said, this is my calling on my life. And I think we all buck that. I don't like this calling. I don't like being called this way. How about Harriet Tubman? I'm sure there were better things she could be doing in her flesh than going back into the face of danger, where she probably would have been lynched had she been caught. But she didn't. She knew the way out, and she showed others. Around 1850, she escaped from her slave owner's plantation in Maryland and traveled by night up to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where she was then free. But she immediately went back to help lead her friends and family out of slavery also. That is Galatians 5.13 in a nutshell. Don't use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. She knew the way. You know what? Jesus does too. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I don't know how many times I've said that. That's probably one of my go-to verses, if you would, with people that try to tell me that God is, um, you know, the ecumenical God, that all roads lead to the same God. And I just say, no, Jesus Christ said, I am the way and the truth. No one comes to the Father but through me. Do you know how many people need to hear that? You know how many so-called Christians need to hear that? There are so-called Christians right now that don't actually believe that. That believe Christianity proper is only is one way of a multiple or multitude of ways to get to heaven, so to speak. To ultimately reside with the so-called God of a God of the universe, which is actually fictitious. They're actually talking about the God of this world. What both of these women had in common, Anna and Harriet Tubman, was the one thing that we are studying here so many years later. They had what Jesus said to Mary, Martha's sister had. The one thing that is necessary. And the principle being brought to light here this morning is a simple one. That is that with proper perspective, when our focus is glued to our first love, we do remain devoted to Him undistractedly. And that's the whole idea of life itself, that we are cognizant of, we abide in the one necessary thing. We devote ourselves to Him undistractedly. And anytime you hear the word undistracted, it means relative to the details of life. So that's the pathway the Spirit's laying out before us all, very clearly, by the way. And as we've been noting, there are things that keep us from being all in. I mean, I'm sh I, I would venture to guess that most people here are convicted, at least, this morning. Like, yeah, it's true. Undistracted devotion, that is absolutely what the Bible says. But what keeps you from being all in on this venture? I would say that probably what the Bible says is the details of life. 
like I said, some of you, seriously, I'm not kidding you, you laugh, but some of you have already thought about lunch three times, if not more. What the heck is wrong with you? Nobody's starving here. Maybe that's kind of the problem. Maybe if we were starving, our priorities would be straighter. Maybe if we didn't have $50, $100 to blow on a lunch, maybe our priorities would be better. Maybe that job you have isn't actually a blessing after all because it keeps you going to lunch nine times a week. There's only seven lunches, huh? That sounds about right for America. You know, brunch and then post-lunch and, you know, gluttony. Maybe the prosperity that Americans all enjoy isn't actually prosperity from God at all. Do you ever think about that? How did we get our money? Not to get all political. How do we gain this land? Who have we railroaded in the process? That's godly? Some of you military guys are like, what are you talking about? I'm military too, so shut up. How do we get this stuff that we call prosperity? Anyone? There you go. We stole it. Yay! What's the matter? Hoorah! Marines, Air Force, Army? Anyone? What's so godly about that? Nothing. So what are we celebrating in terms of prosperity? I'm serious. We've got to get our minds straight. I love my country. Don't get me wrong. It opens up doors. We're able to evangelize. We're able to send missionaries to other countries. For what purpose? For evangelism. Not so we can act like spoiled brats. The prosperity that we Americans call blessing is a farce. And we all run around with the details of life that this prosperity ushers in. Well, hey, I have all this money I got. I got to spend it somehow. I might as well go to Chick-fil-A for brunch and then Longhorn down the street for post-lunch and then go get a glass of a bottle of wine at the liquor store down the street that's now open on Sundays and such because, you know, everybody needs to be an alcoholic nowadays. And let me just, let me just enjoy this prosperity because it's all blessings from God. Are you sure about that? Are you 100% sure that all those details that come with all that prosperity are bringing you closer to God? That's the question on the table. Are they... You can go down the street. If you don't like what I'm teaching, go down the street and you can find a hundred churches that will teach that those actually are blessings. That God loves America so much that He wants to destroy our lives by prospering us in ways that we have no capacity for. Because every time we get more capacity, or every time we get more prosperity, we run further and further away from Him and make and justify us ridiculousness. You guys are looking awfully twitchy. This is what I see. Why? This is just real talk, folks. It's just real. Can we just be real? Here's what the Bible says, First or 2 Timothy 2, 4. No, active, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. 
Well, who are you fighting for? Let me give you some depth here. Entangles from Implaco in the Greek means to weave, to entwine. Refers to being integrally involved with something else. Sort of like being one color yarn in an Afghan blanket. You know, in Afghan, sometimes they have these beautiful Afghans, a bunch of yarn, and they're woven together. And, you know, it's beautiful, right? And let's call that the world system. And if you're entangled in the world system, you're like one of those yarns, one of those pieces of yarn, right? And everybody's like, wow, what a beautiful Afghan. And you're a part of it. There's interdependencies that make such situations very sticky. Are you going to be the one to extract yourself from the Afghan? Some of you might be relating to this already. I was thinking about this. Consider the person who, say, is involved in an ungodly business relationship. And by the way, if you work, you're in a business relationship. You're the product. In other words, you're the resource. But let's just say a business in general. Consider the person who is involved in an ungodly business relationship. And suppose this business is the primary source of income for this person's family. And suppose this person is married with kids. So there's a lot riding on this income. And maybe this income has been flowing for a while, so there's a whole lifestyle around this income. But in the back of their mind, there's a nagging reality that says, you know what you're doing is wrong. And the Lord is displeased with it. How difficult is it for this person to extract themselves from this situation that entangles them? In some senses, very. But then again, to a person with faith, not really at all. You just leave it. We might call that dragging feet. If faith can move mountains, and Jesus said it could, then it certainly can extract any of us from ungodliness. But we drag our feet. Why? Because we're entwined, you see. Entangled in the details of life. We have lives that are, especially in America, let's face it, come on. We are, we are trained from a very early age that we have to take advantage of the prosperity that's in this country so that we can build lives for ourselves, correct? It's not about God. It's about building a life for yourself. And we all have these long-range plans and, you know, whatever, financial advisors and people telling you you're doing the right thing, you're doing the right thing, you're doing the right thing. And all we're doing is buying a lie that we're, quote, building a life for ourselves. And that would be fine if Jesus was the priority, but he's not. The one thing that's necessary is an afterthought, which is why a lot of people don't make it to class or read the blogs because they're too stinking tired, supposedly, to do so. But if I told you there was a million dollars, ooh, wait a minute, I could build my life with a million dollars. There's a million dollars at your seat every time you came to class. This place would be packed every single class. All it is is a matter of priorities. Fair enough? It's just a matter of priorities.
The priority is you want to build your life. Well, that means you have no faith. Because you, I, me, you're always the proper or the pronoun in the sentence. I want to build my life. So when you're convicted, you drag your feet. That's the point. When you're convicted of the actual truth that's in the Bible, you drag your feet because you lack faith. And what's that a function of? As I've touched a bazillion times, humility, because God gives grace to the humble. Faith is a function of being given something by grace. So you drag your feet. If faith can move mountains, then it certainly can extract any of us from ungodliness. Go to Mark 1.14. Mark 1.14. So the question, I guess, too, is are you dragging feet? Are you dragging feet? Mark 1, 14. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Verse 15, and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will, make you, or I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Oh, wait a minute, what about the business? Wait a minute, didn't they have a business, a fishing business? Yeah. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Again, the point on the board, dragging feet. If faith can move mountains, then it can certainly extract any of us from ungodliness. Let's continue though. Verse 19, going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets, immediately called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat (laughs) with the hired servants and went away and followed him, to follow him. Okay, so Peter, Simon, who's Simon? Andrew, James, and John were all fishermen. That means they were all businessmen. They all had business to do. They weren't even having to give up something ungodly. There's no indication that their fishing businesses were ungodly. None. They weren't even having to give up something ungodly, like some of you have been convicted to do even now. And you know what? They dropped their nets and followed him. By comparison, we pale. By comparison, we pale. For we have trouble dropping things we ought to have dropped simply due to the ungodliness of it. Because we're entangled, remember. We have trouble dropping things we ought to have dropped a long time ago. Up here on the board, to our message, title, Undistracted Devotion. Devotion requires a certain surrender, you see. It's impossible to be devoted to the Lord in something that distracts us from Him. Mark 1, 14 to 20, Matthew 6, 24. Go there. Go to Matthew 6, 24. Matthew 6, 24. Again, devotion requires a certain surrender. How are you going to be devoted to another person if you're still devoted to your own self? 
and your self-life. It's impossible to be devoted to the Lord and something that distracts us from Him. That was my, that was my rail against prosperity, by the way. That was exactly what it was. It's impossibly devoted to the Lord and something that distracts us from Him. We, are, we live in a country that, that throws money at us and throws prosperity at us. And we're so used to it, we think we're entitled to it, which is disgusting. Can't wait until the Indians and the Chinese take over all the jobs so all the Americans can realize that they're bums. I'm serious. I can't wait. They deserve They work harder. You get what you get. You don't want to work hard? You think you're entitled to stuff? Good luck with that. If only people listen to the Lord, work hard as unto the Lord, we wouldn't have this problem where immigrants are coming in and taking, they're taking our gerbs. South Park, anybody? Not that I watch South Park. Right? All these hody does all upset because these, these so-called immigrants are taking it. You know, your, your, your grandparents are immigrants, moron. Don't be jealous just because they're working harder than you, just because you're an enabled brat. You get the wrong focus anyways. But here's what the Bible says, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and wealth. I did not say that. You cannot serve God and wealth. Which means that if you're trying to build a life for yourself, and all your focus is on building a life for yourself, you're serving wealth. Not God. Now, if God blesses you out, you're serving Him, and God blesses you out, so be it. That's cool. I have no problem with that. I mean, look at Solomon, David, and those guys, right? God never had problem with wealth. God doesn't have a problem with wealth. He doesn't mind prospering people that have capacity for it. But who says that just because you're American, you have capacity for wealth? I would argue just the opposite at this stage of the game. It's interesting. But that's what the Bible says. No one can serve two masters. Our human flesh will always balk at this because it has no faith in God's promises. So goes the battle, a la Romans 7. Part of us wants to devote everything we are, every waking moment to the Lord. That's that little twinge you feel, that... that, that um, conviction in your soul your new self is like yeah let's be all in let's do this thing part of you wants it while the other part wants to devote our time to ourselves that's the flesh and so we play this game you know you go to church and it's the new self and you go back home in front of the tv and it's the old self the latter argument regarding devoting your time to yourselves the latter argument is that if we don't devote our time to ourselves, we'll lose all that we've worked so hard to achieve. Oh, man. I worked all my life to achieve this stuff. I'm building this life. And if I don't devote myself to that, if I don't continue to, you know, because that stuff requires maintenance, right? The things you own end up owning you, that type of thing. That stuff requires maintenance. If I don't, if I stop maintaining that in favor of maintaining a relationship, a real one with the Lord... I'm going to lose it. But you know what that says to me? It says, it was never from him in the first place. 
That means you are sustaining something with human power. Jesus has a message for you. Go to Mark 8.35. Mark 8.35. See, undistracted devotion comes down to priorities. There's the P word again. It's not, as, it's not as big of a problem as patience, but priorities are pretty close, I think. It's the two P words, right? It's probably another P. What's another P word? Hey, thanks for your support. <laughs> Mark 8.35. <laughs> I do all the work. You, know, you guys have like six-foot glutton buckets of coffee. You'd think your brain would be cycled up by now. <laughs> probably too convicted. That's probably what it is. Mark 8.35, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Up here on the board, let me help you with some of this. To lose your life is to dedicate yourself to the Lord rather than self. That's it. That's all he's saying. You need to dedicate yourself to me, not you, not building your little life. To me. That's your priority. That's the one thing that's necessary. I'm the bread of life. The world doesn't feed you. You might get a steak out of the world, but you know what I'm saying. That's the one thing that's necessary. Me, says the Lord. But he's always an afterthought. That's why I wrote that blog. To hearers, he's an afterthought. Hearers love to be convicted because they like the emotional jibber-jabber in the back after class. Oh, my God, I'm so convicted. Oh. Give me some more quiche. Give me a half a donut. I was so convicted. Oh, weren't you? Oh, I was too. Oh, cheers, yeah. Okay, when's the game start? Ooh, y'all. <laughs> to lose your life is to dedicate yourself to the Lord rather than self. You have to surrender. You have to surrender your lifelong claim to your life. For after all, you have been purchased with a price. And as 1 Corinthians 6.19 states, not Pastor Ed, you are not your own. If you wanted to keep yourself, God would have given it. He would have said, great, you can go to hell after this. But if I'm going to purchase you, then you're mine. That's the whole idea. You want to keep yourself, you want to save your life, you'll lose it. That's what Jesus just said. But if I purchase you, you're mine. That's the deal. You don't get both. Remember, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 states, you are not your own. So who are you building your little life for? Therefore, to lose your life is to surrender yourself and trust that he is a perfect master, someone willing to take care of you no matter what. As we considered on Thursday up here on the board, God provides, regardless of circumstances. Go to Philippians 4.11. Philippians 4.11, God provides. Some of you should have that tattooed. I'm not a huge tattoo proponent. Don't be offended. Whatever. Have your tattoos. I'm just saying. Some of you should have that tattooed instead of, I don't know, the barbed wire around your arm like Don Parent has. 
But he's a chicken, so he only has like the tape on kind. He's like, look at Ann. Ain't I looking like a rockin' stud? Ann's like, oh, you're my man. <laughs> God provides regardless of circumstances. Philippians 4.11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I think we need to broaden our perspective on this. In context, yes, was finances in view? Absolutely. But the word is whatever circumstances I am, up here on the board. I think most Americans' attention is drawn immediately to financial roots when they read this passage. The truth is that Paul is talking about every form of circumstance, finance, geographic, familial, emotional, etc. Whatever circumstances, your dependence is on him. Go forward to verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Up here on the board. All your needs, focus, underline on needs. All means just that, all. The key qualifier is the word needs. In Philippians 4.19, it doesn't say wants that we've expressed his needs. That's that little game we all like to play. I mean, I was just having a conversation with DJ before class. You know, people, it's like, oh, I, I need this and I need help. I need help with this thing in my life. I, I need your help. But all those wants, you made a priority. You wouldn't need my help if you didn't prioritize these wants in the first place. See, that's what we like to do. We like to consume all our energy, even our finances, even our time, on our wants. And then when we're completely destitute of ability, we go out to the world and cry to the world, I have these needs that aren't being met. Help me. And we entitle them. I think we've got to step back a second and say, wait a minute. Are these people just playing a little game here? Sounds a little bit like socialism. Are we just playing a little game here? Are people using up all their resources on wants and then complaining their needs aren't being met? The next time you go help somebody, think about that. Are they playing a game? Are you just a schmuck? Are you being used by entitled people? People that believe they're so ridiculous at this juncture in their life that they deserve to have their wants met? And when they're destitute, then you have to come swinging in like uh, Tarzan or Superman and save the day? Is that our calling? I don't think so. You know, fool me once, fool me twice. I wish I had George Bush up here. He'd muck that up big time. Right? Doesn't say wants that we've expressed as needs. Luke 2.37, part B. Anna never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers. Anna's needs were always met. Imagine that. Huh. She must have had faith or something. Up here on the board, Luke 12.30-31. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. In other words, all these fleshly, physical needs, clothing, food. That's what the, isn't that what the unbelievers spend all their time on? Not only do I want clothing and food, I want the best clothing, I want the best food. Because that's what creature credit is, because I have better food. If I can go to the Capitol Grill in a suit like this, then when I look over at you and you're in your uh, you know, oversized sport coat with an IZOD underneath it and bell bottoms, I go, I'm obviously better than you. 
Then I whip out my gator skin wallet. And my wife has a little Louis Vuitton that we paid $5,000 for. Let me scroll this around the table a little bit. I'm better than you. That's what this is all about. I'm better than you. What's the matter? That's what the world worries about. Those are the things the world worries about. Your father knows what you need. But seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. So our series is titled, Undistracted Devotion to the Lord. And so far, during our lessons, some of you might be saying under your breath, up here on the board, just be honest with us. I can never do that. Undistracted devotion to the Lord. I don't know, it feels like that's like eons away from me. That's like light years away from me. And you know what? As long as it's about you, you are 100% correct. No doubt. As long as you, I could never do that, you're 100% correct. You can't. But you see, the problem with that is you're still depending on yourself. The same creature that's building a life for you. That's architecting some resolution to your proceeds problem that you don't measure up to the rest of the world. I know, right? Oh, man, happy Sunday. If you guys aren't like this, I could teach different. Maybe if you guys are like on the spot on, I can teach like, you know, yay, kumbaya, everybody get up here. But no, not this congregation. No. Anyways, I could never do that. And you're right, 100%. The first part of humility is surrendering the I and me in our thinking. This is what it means to deny yourself. You got to get over it. I, me, I, me, I. This is what it means to deny yourself. Matthew 16, 24. Up here on the board, John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. But for apart from me, you can do nothing. So yeah, see, I could never do that. It's true. You could never do it. But with him, you can. With him, all things are possible. Here's one of our baseline conclusions so far. Undistracted devotion requires a power that is impossible for the human flesh to generate. God's will is always satisfied by means of his own grace. If he desires we are undistractedly devoted to Christ, then he will abundantly supply the humble with grace to meet his desire. Isn't that what he did with with, uh, Anna? Even Harriet Tubman. I mean, if he wants you to do something that brings glory to him, by his own nature, his own integrity, he has to grace you out. He has to give you the provisions to do it. The twisted part for Americans is we're all goofed up, and we think that prosperity is the blessing, but it's actually not. Prosperity is a responsibility, and for those without capacity, it becomes a curse. Let me say that again. Prosperity is a responsibility. And for those without capacity, it becomes a curse. Prosperity is a responsibility. And those without the capacity, it becomes a curse to. 
Do you have the capacity? You have to answer that for yourself. Do you have the capacity? That's between you and the Lord. If it's taking away from the Lord, then you don't. I can tell you that. If every time you get a promotion, you're further and further away from studying His Word and abiding in His Word and rejoicing in His Word, you know, the way you used to, you know, when you first got saved and now you're a miserable wretch, what do you think? You see a trend here? Do you guys, anybody see a trend here? <laughs> do you get what I'm getting at? Can we just talk plain? Can we stop pretending? Oh, well, that's because of this. No, it's because you don't have the capacity for it. And Satan knows it, and the kingdom of darkness knows it, and so they keep pouring it out on your lap. And you've got people around you saying, oh, you've got capacity for it. Just give me some of that. Because I'm a mooch, or I'm a leech. You're my sugar daddy. Keep stressing yourself out. Just give me some of that moolah. Because that's the American way. And we'll call it blessings, okay? We'll call it blessings. God is blessing us out so much so that he's taking us away from our first love. Does that sound like God? Sounds like America. And at a macroscopic level, at, you know, if you look at the last 200 years, that literally sounds like America. We may have started with good roots, but we are like, like this. There's a remnant, but the rest of America is like in la-la land. One of the ladies that we opened up with uh, this series with, namely Anna, spent the vast majority of her life fasting, praying, serving in the Jewish temple. Given the fact that we don't worship God that way anymore, we must turn our attention to the temple that we've been given today. And you know what the Bible has to say about that. Our temple is our body. Our temple is our body. So Anna spent all her time serving in the temple to bring glory to God. Well, you have a temple, and you have a temple, and you have a temple, and it's called your body. And God indwells your body. God indwells believers. In many ways, the way we treat our bodies is a first test to our undistracted devotion to the Lord. Go to 1 Corinthians 6.15. 1 Corinthians 6.15, our temple is our body. In many ways, the way we treat our bodies is the first test to our undistracted devotion to the Lord. First Corinthians 6.15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? That you are not your own. I just quoted that. You're not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body up here on the board. Since a believer's body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, verse 19 we just read, 
We must devote ourselves to serving the Lord in it. That's what Anna did. That's the analog from Luke 2, 36 to 38. We don't have that temple anymore. We have this one. We have this temple. And we're supposed to glorify God in this temple. In many ways, our undistracted devotion to the Lord begins within our temple, our bodies. And the point is, the practical point up here on the board is, it's impossible to stay focused on the Lord when you're infatuated with another human being you're having illicit sex with. For example, since there's no separating yourself from your own body, what you do to and with it makes all the difference in the world. That's what the Bible just said. This particular sin, sin of immorality, is inside the body. It's a different kind of damaging. So learn to ponder the simple reality that the Holy Spirit never leaves your body. Just remember that. The Holy Spirit never leaves your temple. If we're overcome by self-absorption, how focused on others can we actually expect to be? In other words, if we defile our bodies because we're self-absorbed, because we're making bad, how focused on others can we actually be? I mean, big picture, how many bodies are you getting given? You get one, right? I mean, part of us are bionic, like Lois has a bionic Nino, right? But you're given one body. One body to glorify God with. One life. What does it get? What, 70, maybe 90 years, depending, somewhere, some length of period. Not very long. One body to glorify God with. And what are we doing? Our commission is to spread the good news about our Lord and Savior. The one we're supposed to love so much. The one we're supposed to appreciate so much because of his work on the cross. But ah, that was so long ago. I'm already saved. I'm a selfish jackass. I'm saved. I'm good. I don't care about my neighbor. I'm going to go defile myself now. How is that relative to spreading the gospel? How focused are you going to be on spreading the gospel if you're destroying the temple? And I brought this up on Thursday, I think. There'd be no different than Anna decides one day to go in with a chainsaw into the temple and start cutting everything down and taking, like, cow manure and slinging it off the walls and saying, yay, let's celebrate. That's another big theme that's been coming up in my heart lately. What the hell are people celebrating nowadays? If something's wrong, it's wrong. You don't celebrate it. You go slinging cow manure in your temple, you don't celebrate it. You violate God's word, God's commands about things like sex, marriage, blah, blah, blah. You don't celebrate it. Ever. Ever. Can everybody hear me? Ever. Tired of people celebrating garbage. You want to make mistakes? Make a mistake. Don't ask me to celebrate with you. You know what I want to celebrate? I want to celebrate the fact that I'm still alive. Despite my own ridiculousness. Trust me, I have my own problems, so I'm not judging anybody. That I'm still alive and able to spread the gospel. How about that? How about we celebrate that? Instead of our Americanism and our immense ability to pat each other on the back for doing evil. 
How about we stop celebrating that crap and we celebrate the stuff that really matters, like being left here on earth with the ability to spread the gospel. Amen? How about, yeah, you all say amen, yeah. Yeah, here's, oh, amen, yeah, amen. All right, so when your Uncle Vinny's over this afternoon rooting for whoever he's rooting for, you're going to evangelize him? Nope, I'm going to hand him a beer. Why not? I'm a coward because I celebrate me and I built this little life. Look at my surround sound. I even got like reclining chairs. I got a whole room dedicated. I converted my garage. I said to hell with the cars, to hell with my wife having a, a secure car and a garage that I could use for, you know, keeping the snow off her car so she doesn't slip and kill herself. I'm not saying if you don't have a garage, you know what I'm saying. But I converted it into a movie theater. Huh? And I watched the games on it. Huh? Now that's bringing glory to God. I'm going in and worship some other idols, like 11 on each side of the ball. I'm going to do that instead. I don't think that's what God had in store when he blessed you with American prosperity. I'm pretty sure that's not what he wants you to do with your time or your money. Celebrate a bunch of idols. You want to watch a football game? That's cool. But you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are so sick. You have a Brady shirt underneath your jacket right now. <laughs> I know. Sick. All I know is we're left here to spread the gospel. Anything thwarting said commission is evil. Go to Mark 8.36. Mark 8.36. I know, hard lesson, huh? I love it. Oh, it's awesome. It really is. It's amazing the, the, the tenacity he has with this congregation. I love it. I mean, and to your credit, you're here. And it's not like you expected anything less, right? I mean, so at least you're here. In that sense, you're humble enough to show up, which I love. That's why I love you guys. But it is hard, and you have to have a, you know, quote, come to Jesus with yourself on this stuff. You have to look in the mirror and say, yep, that is me. That is absolutely me. I'm an idolatrous fool. But I'm learning. Mark 8.36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Woohoo! But forfeit his soul. For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? How about you? What will you? Be like Esau? How about, all right, hey, pass me a soul of, pass me a bowl of chili. You can have my firstborn. <laughs> what? What? You can have my soul. How about that? You can have everything. Just give me, I'm starving. Give me a bowl of soup. I don't want to get up because Brady's up. I don't want to miss his plate. You laugh, but that's pretty much what we say to the Lord in terms of prioritization. Sometimes we treat him worse than a bowl of chili. We just finished an 18-part series titled God Sees the Heart, but the world sees the choices we make. The concept of choices has very practical ramifications to it, doesn't it? Up here on the board. So here's some practical encouragement. Devotion up here on the board. Devotion to the Lord is something that others certainly see. For example, many people would have grown to know Anna and her dedication to the temple, for she was there all the time. So here's the question. 
What's your dedication to your temple look like? And to whose glory do you use it? Again, what's your dedication to your temple look like? And to whose glory do you use it? Remember, you are not your own. If you're saved, you've been purchased with a price. God gave you that option. You want to keep your life, you'll lose it. You want to save it, you're mine. To whose glory are you using that body of yours? God's desire, obviously, is that you use your temple for his glory, not your own. Not to be crass, but this is what came out in my notes, so I'll blame my notes. That means, women, you don't prance around like prostitutes, inviting men to stare at your bodies, and certainly don't be giving up your virtue. Men, that means you don't prance around like morons, flashing your wealth as if it really matters, looking to violate women. That's what it means. That's your temple. It's not even yours. That is no different. Red alert, red alert. You let somebody into your body with immorality. That's the same thing as letting a bull in the temple and letting him sling his own feces around as well while he's in there. Ungodliness is ungodliness. Defilement is defilement. You can try to justify it all you want. But it is what it is. The Bible speaks quite clearly about the mindset we are to have. And we are to remember whose good name we are representing as Christians. Yeah, I think we got a little bit of extra time. Go quickly to Ephesians 5.1, then I'll close. Ephesians 5.1. Whose good name are we representing in this world? We've been left behind by the same one whose good name we're supposed to be representing. We call ourselves Christians, right? Christians. Well, I think we're supposed to be representing him. I mean, if you think about it, he's the one who purchased that temple. Ephesians 5.1 Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We, have, we can learn a lot from that. Be imitators of God as beloved children. In other words, you represent God. You've been purchased with a price. God sees your heart. You might say, oh, I have a good heart. Yeah, but the world sees the choices you make. The world sees you acting like a figurative and literal prostitute. Selling yourself. In every way. I'm not just talking about physical like a, like a real prostitute does. I'm talking about prostituting yourself out for goodies in the world. What does a man gain if he sacrifices his soul? How much of your soul are you sacrificing? How much are you selling to the world to gain whatever it is you think you need, which is really just a want, which ends up being just the lust of the flesh? What is it? As beloved children, parents often tell their children to behave in public up here on the board. Parents often tell their children to behave in public because it is their good name at stake. A disrespectful, unruly, naughty brat reflects poorly on the parents. Um, how's that any different in any family? 
particularly God's. Are you God's child? If you're saved, absolutely, you can say unequivocally, yeah, absolutely, I am God's child. Okay, how are you acting in public? How are you behaving in public? This isn't uh, religion, by the way. This isn't like legalism. Oh, you know. This is just you being honest about yourself. We're part of a family, right? Do you like that idea? Everybody loves that idea. I'm part of God's family. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yep. Some of you are going to be back there eating your croutons and saying, oh, I'm part of God's family. Chick, chick, chick. But then you're going to go back with Uncle Vinny, and you're going to act like Uncle Vinny's family, who's of the world. And you're going to live this duality, this dipsukos. And then you wonder why you're miserable and why you need something like liquor to sauce you up so you can get to another day. Let me, let, me give, let me give a little hint, ladies and gentlemen. You ready for this one? This is going to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're saying this. If you have to come home every night and have a glass or two of wine to survive, something's wrong with your life. Let me say it again. If you need that much help in your life, something is missing. I'm going to bet it's Jesus Christ. I'm going to bet it's Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about having a little glass of wine with dinner. Fine. I'm talking about, you know, a goblet. I don't have one glass of wine. Yeah, but it's this tall, and it's got a handle. <laughs> I think they call it a beer stein. Hey, there's only one wine. The whole bottle almost fit in there. If you only get, let me explain it this way. If you only get two glasses out of one bottle of wine, your cups are really big. <laughs> but some of you, that's what you say to each other. Oh, sweetie, hit me up with a little wine, will you? <laughs> well, then don't, don't hog it all, damn you. <laughs> we only had one cup each, see that? If you do that every night, something's wrong. You might even have a problem, which is sad, or at least one that's developing. I'm serious. I know that's off the cuff, but I'm just saying. If that's you and Uncle Vinny's there and all you do is drink, and that's what you're saying to Uncle Vinny. I'm a Christian, but I have no um, peace. My peace comes in the form of a bottle. This is my peace. What do you, what's the message you're sending your company? Is this the guy you're trying to evangelize, right? Well, you're supposed to be. What's the message you're sending that person? I don't even live in peace. And I have Christ. What do I need him for? I thought he was supposed to be bringing you peace. Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, he does so much. <laughs> What's the matter? He does so much, but I still need my, you know, crutch. What's the message you're sending? How about with your kids? Come on, son. Come on, daughter. Let's go to class. Let's go get some peace. We've all screwed up, so don't get all... You guys are looking at like, oh my God. He's talking about us. He's talking about me. How's he know? I hate this guy. <laughs> you don't think I see it? It's like venom. Why is he talking about us? I've told you that story before, right? People have left the congregation. They accused me of talking about them. and I, I didn't even know what the heck they were talking about. Did you tell them about my problem? What? No. Why is he talking about me? He's not talking about you. That's God the Holy Spirit snapping you in the forehead. He doesn't know anything about you. He really doesn't care about your problem, so to speak. Anyways. Parents often tell their children to behave in public because it's their good name at stake. 
disrespectful, unruly, naughty brat reflects poorly on the parents. How's that any different? We say we're Christians and then we act like morons? Kind of thwarts the gospel, just saying. Look at verse 2, Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk, then. You see the activity? Do. Don't just hear. Don't just come in and say, oh, that was such a convicting thing. Yeah, I think I'll, maybe I'll cut back to half a glass or half a stein of wine. Now, walk. If something is taking away from the Lord and his purposes in your life, cut it off. That's what walking means. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That's how we started off, and I think that's how we'll end. Find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Are you using your temple as something pleasing to the Lord? Is your life a sweet aroma to God? Or are you playing these games? Even so much so that the world sees the choices you make and the choices do not bring glory to God. You know what I'm saying? Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for studying your word. Your word is truth, and this is how you sanctify us. Father, thank you for your sanctification and your patience in doing so. We know the lessons can be difficult sometimes, but Father, in our humility, we'd have it no other way. Squash our arrogance, Father. Help us put it aside. Help us be delivered from it. We were purchased with a price, Father. We really just want to be pleasing in your sight and to bring glory to you in time. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.